Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays. Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Appreciate that very much. Uh, one of the reminders um, about what happened uh, on the 4th of July, Highland Park, Illinois, is that uh, we often focus on the uh, targeted attacks against our community. Sometimes members of our community are simply uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time when one of these mass shootings takes place. And I really don't have anything more to say about it because it doesn't relate directly to our community. But I think we should at least mention that uh, uh, there were people that um, that are, are familiar to uh, 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 people in the general Jewish community who were victims this past 4th of July. And it seems like nobody in this country is immune to the possibility of, uh, God forbid, uh, being a victim in one of these mass shootings. And well, the fact that the majority of the victims were Jewish, um, you know, it's not escaped public attention. And uh, I actually had met one of the people who was killed when I, I spoke there at, at the synagogue where they worked. And this is, um, uh, anybody who doesn't understand how serious all of these incidents are and what connections he has and whether there's an anti-Semitic motive, I think, you know, he's had to be determined. Um, it doesn't appear that, you know, that's how it started out, but certainly the net result is of great concern. And overall, the crime and the victimizations are, are horrific. I mean, this little kid with a, left as an orphan is really heartbreaking. Yeah, and, well, in general, as you say, people around the world may not realize, maybe people around the world do realize world is so small right now uh what the uh crime situation is in general here whether we're talking about mass shootings or not and <laughs> sometimes you have to just uh take pause and uh, and thank the one above that you're able to make it through the day frankly with the way things are going in so many major cities and other areas of the united states at this point uh we'll get to what's happening in israel but first let's concentrate on some of the things going on around the world uh, was the was the former prime minister of japan a controversial figure uh is it uh, a surprise that uh, somebody would want to take his life it's a very big surprise that somebody would take his life obviously he didn't have that much protection and in you know handguns are banned in japan and so it's um it's uh, this kind of violence is, is unusual and the um he was not that controversial. Actually, he was considered very successful. He was the longest-serving prime minister of Japan. He had served twice, I think, in 2006 to seven, and then another stint till 2012. Um, so he was, uh, and he was considered a popular figure, and he was out campaigning. He was, uh, yeah, he was, he was very pro-American. You had met him, right? Am I correct about that? No, I actually did meet him, but that's not not the one that I had the famous meeting with. No. Right, but I think you had mentioned at some point that this one specifically you had you had come across. Yes, I had met him when he was visited in America. Um, it, what is your reaction? It seems everybody out there wants to know, at least those in contact with me before the weekly update, to the resignation of Boris Johnson and what effect will it have on the relationship between Great Britain and the United States? And is there, is there an Israel or a Jewish piece to all of this? Yeah, every element of instability that um, is added to the current situation, not only in England, Europe as a whole, even though they're not part of Europe now, 
This is another blow coming after what happened in France, where while Macron won, he lost control in the parliament. Uh, Merkel being out and being replaced by um, a much weaker uh, personality. And Douglas Johnson, who was um, certainly pro-Israel and uh, one of the remnants of the group that had formed uh, of leaders who were willing to stand up for uh, for their positions, uh, I think his loss could be uh, could have serious implications. We have to see with time um, who they, who they replace him with uh, and what the nature of the next government will be. There, there were a lot of friends in, in this government, but the the new government is certainly undetermined. It's too early to tell. But I, I think the instability in Europe should be of concern to everybody, and it's um, you know it's reflective of what's happening in many parts of the world, and even in our own country. The political instability, the, the divisiveness, the um, you know the feelings of about leadership and stuff that that we hear every day. It undermines people's confidence, and you know the situation. I think became untenable in England for him after the series of incidents and scandals. Is it only because of social media and the fact that it seems that everybody knows everything that's going on uh, in the uh, in the lives of these political leaders? Um, I mean, a hundred years ago, were there times when you know people would be speaking on the air, and of course, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. And, and they'd be analyzing how there's a lack of leadership or a lot of instability or, you know, surrounded by scandals. Is this only an outgrowth of the close proximity of the, uh, of the regular citizen to the leaders because of what's happening with social media and the invasion of, uh, of everybody's life, especially the public figures' lives, um, on a regular basis? Well, I think the influence of the Internet is pervasive, as I've said, whether it's the spread of anti-Semitism, whether it's the political instability, extremism. Um, but, you know, you remember the Ides of March? You remember there's the a long history where they didn't have Internet, you didn't have anything, and you had intrigues, and you had assassinations throughout history, and the decapitations of governments, and even of people. Uh, so I think that this is part of the political process from time immemorial, but I do think that the Internet exacerbates things and highlights things that would perhaps not have been caused in the past. There's just such a skepticism about the quality of leadership right now, at least in, in you know, the, the countries that we follow mainly. And I, I wonder if we're just, you know, if it's just, you know, the luck of the draw that once in a while you get an effective leader who's able to change things and able, to, in a positive way, and able to have the, uh, uh, the best interest of the people and, and the faith of the people. Uh, behind them, it just seems we're we're longing for that at this point. I do think that there is a longing for leadership. The um, if you look in our own country, the issues of crime on, on virtually every issue, the, the and then the political divisiveness is dominating the discussions of issues and the loss of the political center, which I talked about, as you know, on here for many years, and warning that the model of what happened in Europe comes here uh, has come here. In, in spades, I do think that the um, that it's a global phenomenon, and what worries me is that somebody who offers simple solutions, a good demagogue, would gain broad support. People are hungry for leadership; they're looking for somebody to follow, and I think that that, that the vacuum can be filled by forces, as we've seen in the extremist parties in 
Great Britain on the extreme, in France on the extreme left, extreme right, and elsewhere, Corbyn, um, thank God, was not that kind of a figure, but he certainly took all those extreme positions, and we will have to see how the voids in various countries uh, are filled, and often it results in countries going on their own, and frankly, in the Middle East, for instance, it benefits Israel because it, they, the countries in the region do not rely on Europe, the United States, and others, and therefore turn more internally and regionally, and uh, you see that in the last weeks, the exercises Israelis were in Morocco for the Africa Lion uh, U.S.-led military drill, the the joint coalitions that are being formed in the Red Sea, the joint exercises that take place so often now that they're hardly mentioned. And you can have seven, eight, nine countries, Arab countries with Israel, joining together, and, and it's become so commonplace, something that was unthinkable not long ago. And I think it is because people are, uh, countries are looking to solutions, new directions, new ways of addressing it. Concern about China, concern about Russia, concern about Iran, and and the other forces that are at play. And the, the biggest demonstration of that is that, as I've said many times here, and again we saw this week more steps towards the loss of South America as a whole continent, virtually. Unbelievable. Um, moving to to the Middle East for a moment, the um, the trip, the uh, the trip that President Biden is scheduled to take. Is it still on schedule? Is it still happening uh, on the dates that were originally announced? As, uh, yes. They really started doing briefings, and they are going. It's a very brief trip. I mean, he's he's going to be day and a half in Israel. He's going to Ramallah and then flying off to Saudi Arabia. He'll be meeting the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council. What other meetings is still not clear, whether he has direct meetings with um, the king and Diaz or, or not. I think he will, and we will have to see whether he is, is going to press the energy issue uh, or cooperation in, in other regards, and certainly Iran is going to loom large over that those visits. And he'll be meeting with a new prime minister of Israel. He will be meeting with the interim, the acting prime minister, interim prime minister of Israel, um, who will be in office until November 1st at least, and then we'll see what the outcome of the elections are. And it's a you know great stage for him. He'll be meeting with Bennett and Lapid together. Um, as uh, uh, Bennett remains the alternate prime minister, and he will be meeting with uh, other leaders. Uh, Mr. President Herzog's giving him the presidential medal, and there'll be, uh, I mean, aren't too many public events and he will, you know, be having, uh, he's going to meet Netanyahu as well. According to the latest polls, Netanyahu actually could put together a uh, a coalition, a ruling coalition, if in fact he's going to be running on this uh, on this late in November's, uh, November 1st election. Uh, I know that you're always skeptical when it comes to polls, especially this far in advance, but boy, that's got to give him a tremendous boost that, that the numbers right now work out the way they do. It, well, if it gets into 61, uh, how stable that is, you know, no one knows, and how over time we have to see if the pattern continues. But certainly people want stability. They don't believe that this election will yield stability. Overwhelmingly, Israelis don't believe that, I think, um, and still see that uh, they will have to be cobbled together, and whether it's uh, right-leaning or centrist or center-left or center-mixed, um, coalition is really unclear, and it's certainly far too early, and 
So we know Israelis tell the truth to pollsters and then lie at the polls, so predictions usually come out wrong. Um, but it, it, the fact that during the trial, with everything else, and the, the media clearly going after Netanyahu uh, on a sustained basis, people would like to see a, a strong leadership, whether they, if somebody else replaced Netanyahu and built a, a right-wing coalition, some say would even be stronger, but it's hard to tell that he is, he is considered a leader and he has a strong personal following. Should be very interesting. This campaign really won't get into any serious campaigning until uh, after Labor Day, I guess, right? Until everyone's That's back. That's always the case, exactly. They, they wait till, and because of the Chagim, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it'll be difficult. But, uh, you know, everybody's campaigning all the time in Israel, as they are here, by the way. It was true in America, too, that the American campaigns during the summer were used to be very low-key. It's not the case now. Uh, we already see ads. We see, you know, people stopping uh, all over, for, in, in especially the congressional races, because in August, people should remember, there is a primary in New York for the congressional seats, and there are some important races. Um, but in Israel, too, and, I, and people in Israel are exhausted of the elections. You know, they're tired of them. Now we have a 24-hour news cycle, and now we have a 12-month campaign cycle, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, yeah, is, which is funny because, as you just pointed out, the summer used to be a really quiet time. Although, if you really want to see this in full action, if you want to be, uh, you know, see how the campaigners and the politicians really uh, do all of this in earnest, uh, be in Israel, I guess, a couple of weeks after Simchus Torah, because those last two weeks before the actual election, I can only imagine how heated it's going to be and how passionate it's going to be. And, uh, again, if people who like, who like uh, that spectator sport will find it intriguing. What do you think of this? Um, you have to see how many politicians show up at Kafas, and then you'll know. Yeah. How many people show up what? <laughs> at Kafas. Oh, at Kafas, political right. leaders. That's correct. <laughs> For those who think that religion and politics doesn't mix, uh, <laughs> that is incorrect. Um, what do you think of this conclusion by the United States that the uh, that the Al Jazeera journalist was in fact killed by Israelis, but uh, killed by accident? Um, I think that that is the general conclusion. Uh, they but they did say that it's inconclusive, and there are people who say that they didn't. The bullet was too damaged to really know uh, some of the Israeli analysts, but. Uh, the key question is, you know, she put herself in a position of danger. It's, nobody wants to see journalists killed, and it's tragedy that someone gets killed and uh, is not involved in a, in a conflict situation. But when you, you know, go to the front line, journalists are killed frequently, uh, and there are rules of law. People try to protect uh, and, uh, and journalists and others who cover uh, war situations. Uh, it's funny that, and I tell people, do you know who Shireen is in audiences? And, you know, most of the people do. And I say, can you name another journalist who was killed in in action and targeted or not targeted or whatever? The answer is no. And there are thousands that were killed in, the, in recent years. So the, the, the conclusions that are being drawn, first of all, Israel was convicted before there was any investigation or anything, and we don't know... Some people suspect, as I said, whether it's the right bullet. If it's not the right bullet, if it isn't. The United States um, appeared to try to balance its conclusions by saying that it appears that it was uh, the bullet came from Israel, although there are some who say that Israel doesn't use the weapons that this bullet came from. Uh, but I think in Israel there are also those who are concluding that it was probably from uh, the gun of an Israeli soldier, but not targeted. 
But if any other country was involved in an episode like this, the United States, I think, would have preferred to have stayed out of it and would not have offered any type of uh, assistance in the investigation. Isn't that safe to say that the United States, you know, was really sucked in by the enemy to get involved in this case and to... Well, and the fact that you had a group of uh, 23 Democratic senators, I think, wrote a letter to the president demanding an investigation and... um some even some surprising people signed on to it. Um, well, hopefully this will start to put this to rest. But as you know, they've made a, a heroine out of her pictures, painted everywhere, and they know they're onto something good to, to uh, smash Israel. And the um, um, and the U.S. Play- the, the, and, and the role of Al Jazeera as an instigator is a. Its role against as Sisi and so many other places, you know, where they they ban Al Jazeera. Many people have said for a long time that they should ban Al Jazeera in Israel, and it's it's a propaganda machine. It's owned by Qatar and it it runs constantly. The most hostile uh, stuff. And the U.S. played right into it. And what you just told us is so vital to remember that uh, plenty of Washington political figures went along with the whole thing. And as you said, some of the names that we'd uh, we'd be very surprised at some of the names who demanded that investigation, uh, who are government officials in Washington. It's America. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. What do you think of the Ukrainian officials who are uh, advising people not to come to Uman for Rosh Hashanah? They're not advising them; they're banning them. <laughs> I think, and uh, I mean, it's certainly not going to be good for the chant business. But uh, <laughs> it um, look—they say it's a war situation. We know that the, that that they are political manifestations that have taken place and, and uh, some anti-Semitic stuff that has gone on in Uman uh, in the past, and that there are uh, public officials there who have you know spoken out. Uh, inappropriately against the, the Jews, so this could be a, way, a leverage against Israel. You know, because they feel Israel is not supplying them with enough weapons, even though Israel has been very generous in its response. Uh, and especially when you look at the other countries in the world, and and that half the countries in the world haven't even come out and expressed support for for the Ukraine um, in in the, in the conflict, which Israel has and and has sent. The airplanes, loads of, of goods and material, and some and defensive weapons like um, body shields, etc., and uh, helmets. But they also sent um, uh, the hospital, the field hospital, with uh, sixty-five doctors and nurses, which saved many lives. And the, and and the amount of money that has been contributed from Israel and from Jewish communities around the world is quite astounding. And they and the fact that the prime minister or president of of Ukraine would would come out publicly and, and address a ruling by the the Supreme Court against the quotas on immigration in in uh, in Israel and any limits and not a quota but limits on immigration is also quite remarkable. Uh, so I think uh, we have to see the context of this. Uh, I know that there was one bombing in in uh, Oman, but I haven't heard of anything since that time. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's a complicated picture. It's not a, a simple equation. The uh, the predictions a couple of months ago is that Putin was going to have to back down and uh, and find a way to gracefully exit from this entire war, this conflict. It's now July. Is there any indication that things are either slowing down or taking a turn in one direction or another? 
I think I said at the time that if people know Putin, and I've met him several times, I've had some really intense discussions, um, it's not his nature to back down. And, and the humiliation at home will be very great. It, it is an account that will be settled in the future. I'm not sure that he can ultimately survive the political ramifications when the body bags or the soldiers don't come back and families see the cost of this. Actually, financially, they they have weathered this much better than anybody thought. And, of course, goes the price of oil going up. Russia is a major beneficiary. And we know now that one of the reasons the IRGC doesn't really want to deal in, in uh, perhaps in, in the negotiations is because the oil is being exported through their region and they get paid off for all the stuff that that goes out. Uh, so Russia still benefits. It, it exports through Iran uh, what, to bypass the sanctions. It, it's, it's seen now stealing unlimited amounts of grain from, from Ukraine trying to sell it. That Some of it's been seized on, on, on in ships and other reports of... Um, uh, the whole network of how they tried to export uh, the uh, grain from Ukraine that they have stolen, I guess, from uh, different locations and, and storage places. Uh, and and the increasing uh, complication of this situation, by the way, I, one of the things that to me is astounding, didn't get rec uh, any recognition, is that Syria has recognized the Donbass and uh, uh, Lugansk as as part of uh, recognize them as independent republics. The um, uh, the Russian control of it, and I think it's a you know it's it's a statement about Syria's relationship and the the um, the ramifications inside Syria. We still don't know about whether Russia will be able to sustain its position there. Whether Iran takes advantage of it. Whether the uh, we're seeing Hamas restoring its ties with Syria. If you remember, they broke during the war um, because of the the alleged Palestinian the treatment of Palestinians. But they they closed their headquarters. Their headquarters was closed in Damascus, and now they're reopening. Uh, those relationships and, and uh, also the meeting between Hamas uh, and Abbas this week, which again got little coverage and little little uh, notice that Abbas and he, uh, and met for the first time in six years. Um, but uh, I think I think Putin's political future uh, has to really be a, a subject of a lot of speculation right now. As it is, people will rally behind them. They've made it a, a patriotic, nationalistic uh, battle. But from people that I've spoken to, experts on Russia, that do not believe it has any popular support, but people will be afraid to publicly express it. And, and you might see more of a crackdown, harsher domestic um, treatment. But I think in the long term, Putin's days may be numbered. Wow, interesting, and and that and that's despite the fact that it sounds like you're saying that this war could go on indefinitely, or at least for you know quite a while. I, I would think. I don't, I would, I don't think it'll go on indefinitely because you know sustaining it is difficult. And you see that the uh, equipment, a lot of equipment, the Russian equipment, is proving to be false, missing parts. The, the, all the things we talked about over time uh, continue to be to be manifest, and. Uh, you know, the Europeans 
as a result of this, really gain independence of Russian, more independence from Russian oil, Russian uh, gas, uh, that too will have a long-term implication. And the sanctions obviously have an impact, uh, but I think that they've compensated for it a lot in, inside Russia. You know, they've managed to do without McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever the companies that have pulled out. They said they have substitutions. Uh, but I think there are, are longer-term implications for this that will be serious. I would imagine, my gosh. Um, so people have been asking me, and not, not that we ever discuss sports, but when it comes to the political aspects, uh, I guess it's worth mentioning. Uh, people wanted to know your reaction to the Saudi Arabian entry into the United States and world golf scene, and uh, whether you um, sympathize with those participants who would like to grab the money or if you'd prefer if they uh, uh, would not take the Saudi Arabian money. To be very honest, my assessment is I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that, I mean, the issue that uh, they could offer very lucrative contracts to golf players to come and play at the same time as the, the golf association here was uh, underway and that they then banned those who participated in the Saudi games from participating here and some were willing to take uh, the risk because the payoff was, uh, was sufficient. Right. Uh, but to be very honest, given all the other priorities that we have, I'm much more concerned about drones than golf balls. No, that I got. But I'm just wondering if, you know, when these things make the headlines, you know, you know how it is. Uh, yes, some, of course. some of the things that are insignificant. Uh, often... Sports can be very influential. Right. You're absolutely right. Exactly. So, uh, uh, but I get it. I get that it, uh, it doesn't seem to be uh, swinging things, oh, excuse the pun, swinging things <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, in There's this no case. in one here. Yeah, that's for sure. And finally, on Iran, you know, the JCPOA, I, there was another report this week. Obviously, I, I know you're aware of it. And it seems like it's the same press release every time. They are weeks away from enriching enough uranium to produce nuclear weapons. And it seems like it's always weeks away. Like, the, the, this is the deadline. And, and every time a report comes out, it seems to be an identical type of report. And it's sort of like... You know, it, it, make up your minds, because if, if a few weeks ago we were weeks away, they should be at that point right now. So, uh, Rob Malley, who is the U.S. negotiator for the JCPOA, was in the Obama administration and one of the primary proponents of this deal, said that the meetings um, essentially did not succeed and that uh, um, used very... Uh, um, strong la uh, language uh, from about the meeting in Qatar that it produced nothing. It was essentially a waste of time. But he did say there that they have enough now for a bomb, which is not something he has said in the past. And we do know that they have enriched, and they're enriching in in Fordo and in Atans, both of which the cities where they have these huge facilities, both underground, inside mountains, not accessible, closed the 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 um, cameras, not giving inspectors access, plus the other facilities that we don't even know about. The um, So they are producing and they're introducing the more and more advanced centrifuges. So even if they produce and, and we make a deal, they, they have the, once you have the knowledge, your facility, they can instantly replace it. So whether you say a week away, now that's not a week away from a bomb, it's a week away from having the capacity to build the bomb. Right. And and now, you know, they're doing a second launch of a missile, which has a cradle in it that can take a satellite. So they do it under the guise of a space program, but it's really to test the same thing will hold a bomb. That same cradle can hold a bomb. There was nothing in the cradle in, in this next launch because it's really part of their ballistic missile program, which is 
outlawed or sanctioned by the United Nations. Uh, clearly, IRGC may not want the deal for the reasons that I explained. And we're seeing much more aggressive activity. You saw Benny Gantz talked about the, the presence of uh, unprecedented presence of uh, Iranian ships in the Red Sea, again, more than perhaps any time in the last decade. We see them hacking. They did. They attacked the light railroad, even though it's not yet operative, but they're uh, increasing the number of cyber attacks on both sides. But most of all, the, the use of, of drones by uh, Hezbollah, by others, that the the um, they now believe Hezbollah may have 2,000 of the drones, they're capable of carrying weapons. There were two incidents where drones were flown against the rigs in the uh, the Israeli oil rigs. Uh, one, the second one, which was publicized, the first wasn't, but preceded it. But it was only one um, that uh, that attack. But it shows their uh, capacity. We saw the explosion in Parchin this week. So again, we're seeing more and more incidents and nuclear scientists in Iran who are. Um, uh, meeting a early demise, yeah. and the, and then just, but people should look at the stories that came out about the amputations that are being carried out. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Because somebody steals something, they take off their four fingers, and the fifty um, percent uh, of all the executions in the world are taking place in Iran. They also have this majority of the political prisoners, uh, a significant number, but I think the highest percentage in the world. And the the uh, you know this doesn't get the kind doesn't get coverage. People aren't talking about what uh, they're really um, what they're really up to. And they they supposedly arrested some people, including a former deputy head of the British mission in Tehran. Uh, and the the fact that UK seized a warship a ship going to Yemen carrying advanced missiles. They're being monitored, and they left a port in Iran. They didn't send it in a big ship. They send these smaller ships uh, to carry it, and they seized it, uh, which just doesn't take place uh, very often. So Iran is engaging in more and more aggressive behavior there, in, and it's part of the Russia-Chinese-Iran uh, exploitation in South America, and its presence there, which precedes the other two, uh, is very expansive. Uh, so Iran is not holding back the money that they've gotten because of the oil. It's given them the price increase in the price of oil. has given them more leeway. The people are suffering. The people are starving even in places. And yet the government is able to devote all this effort and money to their aggressive behavior and support for Hamas, Hezbollah, etc. And even though the Israeli government is an interim one, I hope they're paying very careful attention to everything you just said. Well, the military is not interim, and Gantz has been speaking about it. He spoke in Greece this week, uh, uh, the Economist Conference, and spoke very strongly about this issue, especially about the Red Sea. And there's more and more cooperation, both Cyprus, Israel, Greece, but also with even Jordan joining them now. As I said, in Morocco, they exercise them, the other countries that have come together, because they recognize the seriousness of the moment and the, the threat that... that um, Iran places for for everybody, and it's you know again the day to day stuff hardly gets any attention. But these are truly aggressive behavior. Well, I hope that the uh, uh, the interim government uh, has the decisiveness, and I understand what you're saying about the interim military doesn't exist. It's a permanent military, but I hope there's a you still need leadership that has the decisiveness to make a decision. And to make decisions. Yeah, when that right. decision is necessary to be made. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. 
Good job, as well. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.